0: Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Jesus, once again, we are grateful for your presence with us. We ask you to show up in a powerful way, convict us and comfort us by your Holy Spirit this evening. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you turn on the news today or last week or the month before that or the year before that. You'll notice that depending upon what news source you watch or what news source you read, it is very comforting and very, um, I guess, common uh, in terms of human nature for those who are reporting a particular perspective on the news to point out what is wrong with the world and generally the people that are accused of being what's wrong with the world are somebody other than the group represented by the particular news source that you happen to listen to. I might be referring to something you you and I might know as, as some partisan discussions in our political scene. You know, those on the left think everything is the right's fault and those on the right think everything is the left's fault. But what's really interesting about the passage that Jesus presents us with here tonight is he doesn't allow us as his followers to get sucked into the way the world views righteousness and unrighteousness. For you see, ever since the fall... It has become part of the fall for people to assume that the good people are me and my group, and those who really need correction in the world are those other people. Now, the passage that I just read to you is a very, very squirrely passage, and it shows up in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is giving his idea, his definition of true righteousness. In fact, he opens in Matthew chapter five by saying to his listeners, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is interested in this idea of righteousness. What is right? Doing the right thing with the right motive And for the right reason, stripped from all forms of self-honor or self-recognition, stripped from everything that might seek to exploit rightness for its own gain. And wouldn't you know it, but in the world in which we live, every person around, I believe, feels the need to justify their worth and their value in some way. I could share with you from a personal experience how much of my life was spent seeking to cover up the shame I felt internally regarding the person that I was and always looking for some new accomplishment or looking for the right person to approve of me in order to justify that I actually was okay as a person. Come talk to me later over coffee and I can share with you all the gory details of what that exactly looked like. I'm not going to dive into that tonight. I'm gonna keep this relatively short. But I have noticed that for religious people, and I'm gonna just talk to us tonight because you're the only ones here, maybe two or three watching on Facebook. But for Christians, for followers of Jesus who are the people that Jesus is addressing in his sermon on the mount, it is very, very tempting to imagine that because we know God, and we serve God, and we seek to do what is right, and we adopt God's principles of righteousness, that we are, in fact, the ones who are in the right, and the real troublers in this world are those who are not like us, who are not from our tribe, who don't think the way that we do. Now, Jesus, in the words that I read to you a moment ago, is both tremendously gracious and tremendously rude at the same time. Because Jesus doesn't allow his followers to conclude the primary people in this world who need to focus on righteousness are those outside of his gathering. Instead, Jesus knows something that you and I often forget, and that is, hey, wait a minute, if I'm seeking to justify my existence, to justify my worth, to make sure that I feel good about myself based on the things that I do, how convenient would it be to take the very commandments that God himself gives I mean, this is God giving these commandments. And then to start assessing my value and my worth based upon how well I do at keeping those commandments I'll wait, in comparison to how poorly those around me do at keeping those same commandments. Jesus walked into a religious scene in the first century that had this exact problem on their minds. The Pharisees of Jesus' day spent their time looking at three areas of righteousness, three good things that the Lord wants his people to do. He wants to transform them into people who are giving, people who stay on their knees and pray, And people who reorient their lives and their desires by fasting and preparing their hearts to enter into worship with the Lord. And wouldn't you know how squirrely sin is? Sin manages and our attempts to justify ourselves manages to sneak right in to really good, true, righteous practices and completely corrupt them. Do you know how? By looking around you and by assessing your abilities at living up to God's commands in comparison with other people and Jesus says, when you do that, the congratulations that you receive for being such a godly person, that's the extent of your reward. But if instead your reward is singularly focused on the one who defines righteousness, the one who equips you to be righteous, you will in fact receive your reward from him. But then Jesus takes it a step further. And this one bites me in the tail every single time that I read it. I know you don't have a Bible in front of you and I did not put these words up on the screen for you today primarily because I wasn't entirely sure what I was gonna say to you until I'm talking to you right now. So bear with me here. I'll just read it to you from this passage. It says in, verse chapter, or in Matthew 6 verse 3, but when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, this has bothered me for a while. I'm thinking, what what in the world is he talking about? I mean, how my right hand not know what my left hand is doing? Well, my left hand, I guess, is no different than my right, except I've got a ring on my left and nothing on my right hand. You know, my right hand might be a little stronger because I'm right-handed. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is sin is so deceitful and is so squirrely in this desire we all have to be righteous in the eyes of other people, oh wait, and also in the eyes of our own selves. In other words, Jesus is addressing a tendency that is all too common in that you could almost say to yourself something like this, okay, you know what? I agree with you, Jesus. I'm not gonna do my righteousness to be seen by other people. Wow, would you look at what a good Christian I am. Unlike all those other people who boast of their accomplishments, I'm not like that. I do the right thing and I don't tell other people about it. Except in that very statement, you are telling yourself. In a self-congratulatory and what has come to be termed in a derogatory way, a very self-righteous way. It is a way of justifying, of declaring yourself to be in the right because of the good that you do. Instead of seeing the good that you do meant to be solely for the benefit of those who receive your giving, receive your prayers, or the fact that as fasters before the Lord, we sacrifice things that are important to us to put ourselves in a position before the Lord and before others so that we can most effectively hear from him and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the calling of a Christian. And I think for so many people today who are seeking to justify their worth or justify their value, the reality is to be noticed. The longing to be noticed is not sinful in and of itself. Jesus here does not tell us to stop worrying about who notices. He tells us there is one whose concern for their notice ought to be most on our hearts and on our minds. God himself is happy to reward his children for faithfulness and for righteousness. It's just that in this world, we are tempted to turn to all sorts of unhealthy places, unhealthy sources, and unhealthy ways of gaining that acceptance and that approval And I would like to submit to you that throughout the ages in the Christian church, this is one of the most destructive things to plague the church. Is when Christians who are called to be the light of the world find our satisfaction and enjoyment in time spent more in criticizing those outside the church for their unrighteousness then we are prepared and willing to criticize ourselves for our lack of righteousness. And it will make you do a double take, but when you read the Bible, Jesus, Paul, James, John, Peter, do not write New Testament letters to people that have not entered into covenant relationship with God. In fact, the bulk of the Old Testament is only written to those who have entered into covenant relationship with God. Here's a verse that gets overlooked and I will just read this for you and I'm gonna close with this. It gets overlooked because it's in the prophets and very few people seem to read the prophets much less what are called the minor prophets. I want you to listen to what the Lord says to his people in Amos chapter three. In verse two, which is all I'm gonna read for you, he says this, you only, speaking to his people, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You see, the Lord entering into covenant relationship with his people doesn't mean his people get a free pass. It means the Lord takes special interest in special care, in cultivating true righteousness in his people more than anywhere else on the planet. So when the Lord gives the Ten Commandments to his people, they're not just a list of rules that everybody is supposed to listen to. That's not even what the book of Exodus tells us. The book of Exodus in chapter 20 begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. The Lord always gives commands to his people after he does something for his people, never before. Because we're not just people who are supposed to, okay, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna obey God today. That's a great idea, but we need tremendous help. And that's what this service and this entire season of Lent is all about. It is bringing ourselves in a position of humility and receptivity, to the work of the Holy Spirit to show us and expose in us ways of thinking, ways of being, ways of acting, and things we believe that are not quite in line with what Jesus truly wants to offer us. He does not do this to threaten us. We have security in Christ to face the worst in ourselves. But his calling for us is to say what he later say in Matthew 7... Why do you seek to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. One of my hopes and prayers for our church and every church who is celebrating Ash Wednesday in some shape or fashion today is that our hearts would be open and receptive to seeing from Jesus the logs that we have so that we grow in the grace and ability with him to help our world with the specks in theirs. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we need you and you are so gracious to us. And I'm grateful that you take righteousness seriously and I'm thankful that you offer us so much hope You are coming to set the captives free and believe it or not, we can be captive to our own weak views of righteousness. And so Jesus, would you forgive us? Thank you that we will have ample time through the remainder of this service to confess our sins to you in a lot of detail because there are so many areas that you want to free us from so that we more accurately reflect you both to each other and to the world. Thank you so much for this beautiful service. Thank you for these beautiful people who are here, who are committed to you, who want to follow you and want to know you deeply. Would you transform us by your spirit? We thank you in your name. Amen.